So does this mean I have to stop eating my sweet tarts now? Uh, probably. Lame. Mm-hmm. So I learned something interesting today that, um, well, it was just interesting. (laughs) I like interesting things. So about, uh, it came up because it was uh, 41 years ago, about to the day, technically 41 years ago yesterday. Um, But the Chicago White Sox professional MLB team on August 8th, 1976, wore shorts instead of long pants. Why? And would you do that? Why would you do that indeed? Uh, <laughs> and really, actually, it, what drew me, obviously, was initially the picture, like, oh, here are these Major League Baseball athletes in shorts. Basically, they look like a adult softball beer league <laughs> attire. <laughs> um, and so I started reading about it, and basically, the owner of the White Sox at the time, uh, William Veek Jr., Bill, Bill Veek, uh, was kind of known for sometimes pushing the envelope in Major League Baseball, which is really interesting because baseball, um, those that are unfamiliar, has a pretty long tradition of pretty much not really changing much of anything at all. Like, the NFL yeah. changes yeah. the rules every year. Like, there's some new rule or multiple new rules every year that happen. Football was, like, the first to adopt the official camera reviews and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Baseball takes forever to change anything at all. Well, Veek loved just like challenging the status quo. Um, and so like, actually in some ways it was really cool. Some of the stuff he did, like he had a plan. He tried to, he planned to buy the Phillies and then was going to load up the roster with um, basically a bunch of the best players from the Negro league. This was obviously before the league was desegregated. And um, it was actually, it was five years before Jackie Robinson even came on the scene. And so if hmm. those of you who have ever watched 42, Jackie Robinson is the first black athlete in the Major League Baseball. So um, the National League found out about his... Major League Baseball. The Major League Baseball. So anyway, <laughs> the National League finds out about his plan and basically blocks his... Op- they don't allow him to buy the Phillies to do that. Um, but like it really cool, like very progressive. And then whenever he owned... At one point he owned the Cleveland Indians and he... Um, signed the first black player in the American League, um, Dobie. I can't remember his first name. Uh, but anyway, there are a few players who refused to shake his hand, basically because he was black. And so uh, Veek kicked him off the team. Like he was like not standing <laughs> for it. <laughs> so That's fantastic. like some really cool stuff. But he also had other um, publicity stunts and antics he liked to do, like signing a guy who is three foot eight. And they put on his jersey one eighth <laughs> for his number. Uh, the guy had one at bat, and That's hilarious. and he walked in four pitches. So, <laughs> uh, so like Veek would just like I don't know. He just loved doing crazy stuff. So anyway, um, at the beginning of a season or something, they had shown like a lineup of some different uniforms that they could maybe use. I don't know. They had like four different themes or whatever and one of them included shorts instead of long pants um and 
like the media kind of had some fun with it or whatever and asked a few players about it. Well, I don't know. After they had used done like worn throughout the season, the other three uniforms, they like there was getting some. Hey, remember those shorts you showed us at one point? When are you going to pull those out? Come on, you know. And <laughs> the players were obviously not real thrilled about it, but um, yeah, the owner decided, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. So uh, on August eighth, they're playing the Royals, the Kansas City Royals, who were actually first in their division at the time, and were like, I don't know. 11 games or 12 games up on second place, Oakland A's. So, like, they were having a really good season. Mm-hmm. And the White Sox are in, like, fourth place or something. They decide, yeah, let's pull out the shorts. It's two games of a doubleheader. Or, excuse me, if for, for game one of the double. obviously doubleheader's two games. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that seems a little. So it's game, okay. game one, and they come out in their shorts. And, of course, like, you know, like people don't know what to think of this. And, right. you know, it's it's mid-70s. So, yeah, I mean, the shorts were actually long for the 70s. They were still well above the knee, but <laughs> they were a little yeah. longer than you'd expect for 1976 shorts. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, <laughs> the socks, of course, up almost to the knee. And they actually had sewn in some rubber padding around the top of the socks for for sliding. So they did think a little bit about the players and cutting up their legs. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, Mayberry, um, John Mayberry, I think maybe his first name, first baseman for the Royals at the time. Yeah, he was heard giving giving a couple little jabs at the other players. In fact, at one point when one of the batters for the White Sox came up to the plate, he said, hey, if you get over here, I'll give you a nice big kiss. <laughs> and, and I think at the, around the beginning of the game, said something like, you know, you guys are the cutest players I think we've ever played against. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they were having some fun with it. Well, interestingly enough, despite the lopsided matchup, the White Sox actually won, won five to two. Now, <laughs> <laughs> here's the best part. After game one, they take a little break before starting the second game. They change into their pants. They come out and proceed to lose seven to two. <laughs> so now after this, like all the hype in the media is like, well, was it the shorts? <laughs> <laughs> and uh i i don't they broke out the shorts another couple times during the season uh it didn't help them win any games and so that was pretty much the last of it so they were the only major league baseball team to ever wear shorts and up to that point and the only team i think since <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's that. but um yeah if you look up the pictures online it's it's pretty funny seeing these grown men in their shorts and long socks and uh yeah <laughs> that's funny so anyway now you know. Yep. Are you looking it up, Sam? Yeah, I'm looking it up. Yeah, if if in like the show notes, you might have to. I can send you a link to the article I read, which talks about like Bill Veek and the whole situation with them wearing the shorts, and like there's several pictures in the article. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, you should send that to me. That's hilarious. So yeah, August eighth, 1976, they broke them out. But I don't know, like a lot of the stuff, like I said. Uh, Bill Veek was sounds like a pretty cool guy and an interesting owner. Seems like it'd be pretty fun mm-hmm. to play on his team, even if some boy. Yeah. It one one interesting like when they were asking the players about the shorts with the uniforms, like before they even use them. Like some of the players are like, uh, you know, pretty negative on it. One guy said something funny to in a press conference about you know, I, well, hopefully they give. It was one of the pitchers who said, hopefully they give me a couple weeks notice so I can or a few days notice so I can uh, get my legs ready. Um, or something about shaving his legs or whatever. Well, there's a yeah. picture in the article I saw where you can see that particular picture and 
yeah, there is not a single hair to be found on his knees. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Oh, geez. So he he followed through on it, but uh, I don't know. Veek said something too to the media about like, yeah, you know, I've got the gnarliest knees of anybody. So if, if I'm okay wearing them, anybody can wear them. And something about having yeah. a wooden knee from a World War II injury or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> goodness, shorts in the major leagues. Yep, that's so funny. All right, so we should probably get going on our uh, topic for this week. This week we're talking about um, probably mostly women in the church, but also um, the idea of gender and marriage, and then maybe even gender and culture as a whole, depending on how uh, how long we go with all of this stuff. So we're going to start with women in the church. Um, there are a couple different views on women in the church. Obviously, some people think that uh, women should not be in leadership in a church based on some uh, verses in uh, the New Testament, particularly Paul's letters. Um, and then there are some who think that it shouldn't matter. And uh, basically, the two views are complementarianism, which believes that genders are complementary and we should respect the complementary nature of the genders and that God has created men to be in authority and women to not be in authority. <laughs> uh, they're not very clear on the positive nature of this, uh, of women in this scenario. Yeah. Uh, not often anyway. Not a lot but of yes. consensus on. Right. Uh, so yes, that's complementarianism, uh, respecting the complementary nature of men and women. And then egalitarianism is the second view, which is basically they're equal in um, in the way that they should function in uh, church and in marriage, that kind of thing. And typically, if somebody's a complementarian when it comes to church structure, they're also complementarian in marriage, uh, which I think is an interesting um, I guess, step to take, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. I am curious, because I don't know that we've talked about this, Ben. Um, I am curious to hear what you think about this. Huh. Do you think, I guess, first question, should women be in leadership in the church? Mm. Y- yes. Keep in mind, no matter how you answer, you will anger somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's well. Yeah. Um. Uh, I'm. Y- yes. Um. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know if every leadership role uh, that. And, and well, I don't know. This is what I'm. I'm not sure on. You're breaking Ben. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I think there... <laughs> uh, let me say, I maybe put it this way. I, I don't know for sure. I'm not come to a solid conclusion yet on everything. Okay. Um, I, I like that. I'll, de- I'll definitely say at this point, I'm, I'm confident in saying there are definitely certain leadership roles that I think it's totally fine that women fill those roles. And I'm comfortable with that. Every leadership role in the church, like maybe like if, you know, if your church has, as most churches, like a lead pastor, um, is it okay or acceptable for that to be a woman? That's where I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure. And I'm leaning toward no right now. But um, yeah, it's something I've kind of thought about some, but not a ton. And, and I'm not sure entirely where I fall. Yeah. Interesting. Sam? Yes. What are your thoughts? Um, 
I don't see any reason why a woman couldn't be in any role in the church. I don't know that statistically speaking, most women are going to want to just because of, you know, the social structure in our culture, Mm -hmm. but I don't see any reason not to. Yeah. Um, Because when I read the Bible, most of the, um, (laughs) when I, I don't know about when you guys read it, but when I read it, (laughs) most of the passages that talk about the differences in the roles that men and women should have are in the context of a marriage. They don't say very much about in a church structure. Yeah. Uh, one of the arguments that complementarians will typically make when it comes to church structure is that when uh, Paul writes about qualifications for uh, church leadership, he's pretty much always talking about men. And he uses, uh, like, one of the qualifications in Titus, Timothy? Uh, one of the, the two. Hus- um, husband of one wife, is that what you're thinking of? Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's the phrase. Husband of one wife. And so he's assuming that it's going to be a husband rather than, I mean, it can't be a woman husband. My question about that is, you know, up until just recently, even the grammatically correct way to say something about one person in English was to use the pronoun he. Right. Even if you were talking about a individual that could be a man or a woman, you right. would just say he. Yeah. And there are lots of other places in the Bible where it's if it's talking about one person, it'll use male terms, but we don't ex- we don't say, oh well, that means that only applies to men. Right. So I don't know why we would in this yeah. case. I tend to agree there. I think that it is interesting that it says, you know, husband of one wife typically talks about male, but also that's number one could just be um, that it was assumed, but not necessarily it's. That it was descriptive, not prescriptive, proscriptive, prescriptive. Yes. Um, This is how things are, not this is how things need to be. Right. I think um, that's one aspect of it, that it could be that. And then also, I think that if a qualification was for it to be a man. and He would have said so. Yeah. (laughs) When he's listing all the things, he would have said so. I think if that's an important thing, (laughs) it probably would have been said more clearly. Um, And then also, I think we find in other places throughout the New Testament, uh, women who are leaders in the church, Phoebe and mm-hmm. uh, Priscilla and uh, Junia, yeah, to name a few. And uh, it's never, I mean, Paul praised those people and yeah. it was never talked about as a bad thing. And even, uh, you know, hear about Priscilla and Aquila. The fact that they phrased Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila is significant because every single time, somebody referred to a uh, husband-wife combo, it was always man than woman. Um, But in this scenario, uh, they used woman than man, which was most likely uh, um, an acknowledgement of the fact that she was the one that was doing Like she was the leader in the the community. Yeah. Um, And so I don't think that the arguments for uh, women not being in leadership are strong enough to outweigh the other evidences in scripture. Um, that's kind of where I stand. Yeah. Yeah. Or strong enough to make a universal statement. Like this is the right. way the, because complementarians are very like, this is morally the way that things should be right. in the church. And if it's not this way, it is wrong. Not it's maybe less than ideal. It's not the way I'd like it. Like that's usually if you find somebody who's complementarian about church structure, they are, they mean it. <laughs> 
They're yes. not playing around. <laughs> yeah. Ben? Um, I agree. There are times, definitely in the Bible, where it seems to be talking about uh, husband and wife relationship and not necessarily like, like when it says, you know, wives submit to your husbands, I don't think that we, it would be appropriate to um, take that to every woman has to submit to every man in the church. Mm-hmm. Like that seems silly. Um, that's, I mean, and so I think we got to be careful when we read about uh, male, female dynamics throughout the Bible. We don't like, we need to be careful if the passage is talking about, you know, husbands and wives or just men and women in general. Um, mm-hmm. So I agree with that. And um, definitely see some examples of women in leadership roles. I do think it's interesting that um, Jesus didn't seem to ever call any female disciples, um, at least not of the notable 12. Obviously, he had more followers beyond that, uh, or sometimes called disciples. But um, There's evidence outside of uh, Scripture that there were women disciples outside of the 12. And I think that there's good reason for there not to be women in the 12, because the 12 was a reference to the 12 tribes of Judah and all of the, and the tribes were based on actual people who were all men. Yeah. And so if he's fitting with the analogy that he's making with choosing the 12 disciples, then he's choosing men. Um, There are probably some practical reasons why if you're choosing these 12 people to send this message across the globe, the message isn't it's quite as It's going to be clear. more well-received if it's coming from men. Well, it's going to be more well-received. And then also, if he chose a woman, then it wouldn't be... It would break the analogy a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't quite fit. The uh, the other thing, though, I mean, like, I think it's important to consider church history, too, in this. And, um, you know, I really get the traditions of, like, the like the Catholic church, um, as far as church structures Mm -hmm. go that date back close to the beginning, um, and other groups, it seems that at least in certain roles, um, there's some that women like aren't even eligible for. Um, that seems to be a pretty longstanding tradition within Christianity. So I don't know that that necessarily makes it that that's the moral standard that we have to stick to or not, but, um, I guess that's something I think worth considering. I, yeah. I completely agree. Church tradition is something that we too often ignore, um, but we should absolutely always take it into account. Um, on that note, I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure before, um, oh, famous uh, king became a Christian. Oh, Constantine. Roman Empire. Constantine, Yes. Uh, before Constantine, I'm pretty sure there's evidence of um, women who were leaders in the church and like saints, that kind of thing. Uh, but well, I after, mean, women can still be saints. Yes, but anyway, um, <laughs> women who were leaders in the church. But after Constantine, that's when it pretty much, because of some of Constantine's views, that didn't start really happen after that fact. Oh, and that makes and sense. So I think it's tradition from Constantine, but not necessarily from the early church. Yeah, that would make sense because okay. that was around the time when Christianity and the Catholic Church became associated with the government, and the government at the time was only run by men. Right. So why would the church be run by women when they're kind of the same entity at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Terrible deal. 
Also, this is very Protestant of me, but I'm not inclined to defer to Catholic church structure, <laughs> considering that I don't see any reason to have a pope or yeah. any of the various well, things that they have. <laughs> I mean, I just, that's one example, but I mean, Orthodox, I mean, even like, the, you know, Reformed yeah. traditions like Methodists and Lutherans, like, they still tend to have some pretty defined gender roles within their structures. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Definitely. So I, and it, it's it's been pretty recent history the idea of of like women pastors for example um mm-hmm. yep. i think it's ancient history and recent history and was not something Middle that happened history. in between yes <laughs> that's what yeah i don't know that we're we have super hard evidence at least that i've seen that that that, that is the case but i think we have some decent evidence that that is the case that um, it's ancient history and yes yeah um that it happened before like in the first couple centuries. I think that's something that I should look into a little bit more. Also, I kind of feel like if we're looking at church history, like can't get any further back than the Bible. <laughs> yeah. And in Acts, <laughs> and there it's were in leaders there. and yeah, yeah. leaders. Yeah. And that's where like, uh, I don't know. I mean, cause you could go even into some of the old Testament and stuff like that, but at a point you've got to wonder how much was it um, affected by the culture and what worked at the time versus morally what's um, acceptable. And so, um, and that's where I don't, I'm not sure on this issue because I definitely think that um, there are, there are differences between men and women um, that Mm -hmm. at a biological level that manifests beyond, you know, I, I, beyond culture and norms or whatever, that there really are mm-hmm. fundamental yeah. differences between men and women. Um, obviously, any generalities you make, there's going to be exceptions to those rules. So talking in, in the term of kind of averages. But uh, I, it seems the Bible teaches that throughout, beginning to end. Um, and even in the New Testament, there's some of that that's reiterated, that there are, that there are certainly differences in, between men and women. Um, again, though, I don't know how far to take that, but... Uh, I, I do have a problem with some egalitarians that want to say, basically, you know, we don't need to acknowledge that there's really no differences or whatever. I think that, Mm -hmm. that, that to me seems like a dangerous recent fad. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. There are differences, but I agree. Like it is, you're talking about averages and I was, oh, I was in a psychology class in undergrad and it was, um, I don't remember which one, but the professor was talking about how. If you look at, you know, all the different things, the attributes that we say, oh, this is a feminine attribute and this is a masculine attribute, like, you know, being nurturing, for example, would be a feminine attribute. Uh If you look at the way that people fall on a bell curve, it's just like men are on one bell curve and women are on another. And the bell curve is slightly shifted for women towards being more nurturing than for men. But there's a huge amount of overlap, like a huge amount. And that that sort of statistical layout you find for a lot of the differences that we, that we claim between men and women, as far as just like individual characteristics like that. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, there is a difference and we should acknowledge that. But if it's, if there is so much overlap like that, then I don't know why we would make hard and fast rules about Mm -hmm. women have to do this or men have to do this when, well, I guess that's the question. That doesn't account for the overlap. Like, yeah. how how big is that overlap, though? 
And I think that's maybe where the disagreement starts to come in because, yeah, I mean, is it some overlap really more close to the tail ends or is it like you're saying, like, is it just a slight shift where there's a massive amount of overlap? Um, Well, this professor's opinion was that there's a massive amount, but I would be inclined to say if there's any overlap, then why would there, like, let's say there's a 10% overlap why would there be a universal rule that women can't be in leadership if there are 10% of women that would be really well suited to it? Um, well, even I think even if it's just a small amount like that, well, I, uh, I mean, if you're gonna, you don't make rules for the exceptions. Um, yeah, but why make rules if you don't need to make rules? Well, I think you'd, if there's really <laughs> no overlap or very little overlap, I think you do need to make those rules because what you'll end up happen end up happening. You'll have people, um, that are not equipped for those roles being placed in roles that like they're not equipped for. And if you have like a very small number of people that could maybe be equipped for the role, but you say, yeah, anybody can do it. You're going to end up with a lot of, you're going to end up with a lot more situations where you have people not equipped for the role in the role mm-hmm. than the other way around. Yeah. I think Which is that why I you... think that what you go ahead and then I'll go. Okay. <laughs> I think what the Bible does is rather than making rules around um, which gender, it makes rules around the qualifications. Mm-hmm. And so it's solving that solution without making a, without ruling out an entire section. Gender. Yeah, an entire yeah, that's gender a, that's where exactly some would be qualified. What I was going to say is I think if you took out any gender rules about who can be in what role, you would judge people based on their qualifications, based yeah. on whether they would be good at it. Not so. I don't think you would end up with a bunch of people that were not qualified for the role in it just because they could be. Okay, so then would you expect? I mean, I guess, and I would probably expect that um, leadership roles within the church are going to be overwhelmingly male, and I wouldn't be surprised or bothered by that. But I think some egalitarians would, and they'd say, "Well, we need a lot more women in leadership roles," and so like, well, I don't. You'd have affirmative action type of. (laughs) <laughs> things come into place mm-hmm. to make that to make that happen. Um, I don't think that the overlap's really only ten percent. I think there's a big overlap. So I think that's where the difference would lie is <laughs> how much. Yeah, because I think some egalitarians would agree that there's not a giant overlap, but there is some overlap. And so, yes, it's going to be majority men, but there should be women. And but then there are some. That you're talking I about, mean, I'm not concerned about the percentages. Yeah. I just think it should be based on who is there and willing and would be good at it. And if that's what we're judging based on, I don't care. I don't care what the percentages are at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I agree with you. I just think that there's a lot of people who, like, if they look and they see it's 90-10 male to female, they go, there's mm-hmm. a problem. We're not judging people yeah. fairly. Yeah. But you can't assume that that's not necessarily proof that that's the case. <laughs> right. I think it can't hurt to say maybe we should check and make sure that we are judging people fairly. If if it's a 90-10 split and you feel like there is in actuality should like more percentage of women who would be good at it, like maybe say we should probably just, you know, take this as a sign that we should look at it and just make sure yeah. that we're judging people fairly. But I mean... There's no reason if somebody were to take the position that you gave the example of like where they are 
saying we need to have, you know, this number of roles filled by women or whatever. Like you're doing the exact same thing that you think complementarians shouldn't do. You are looking at people's gender first and their person second. And that doesn't make any sense no matter either in either context, I think. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, one of the big verses that comes up when talking about this uh, is First Timothy 2.12. I wanted to talk about it for a second because uh, I think it's interesting how translation has happened in this scenario. So First Timothy 2.12, um, actually, let's start a little bit before that. Verse 11, a woman should learn in silence with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. For Adam was created first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith, love, and holiness with good judgment. That verse seems to be, <laughs> the way it's translated, seems to be a pretty clear, I mean, I do not allow a woman to teach her to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. But when researching that one... Drop mic. Yeah. <laughs> that's it all right well guys we'll uh we'll talk to you again next week see you later <laughs> it seems to be pretty clear but uh i that seems like a very i don't know it seems like a strong statement like a slam dunk yeah like and it doesn't really it doesn't seem to line up with things that i've seen that we've just been talking about throughout the new testament um because if i mean for example a woman should learn in silence with full submission i do not allow them to teach or to have authority that kind of thing. Um, here, it seems to be saying they should be silent and should not teach. But then also in uh, Corinthians, there are verses about uh, women making, telling them to uh, have a head covering when they're prophesying. And so it's like if, they, if you have a rule for when they're prophesying, you can't be telling them to be silent as well because right. they can't prophesy and be silent at the same time. So there seems to be a contradiction, um, which means if you there seems to be a contradiction, then chances are it's a problem with our translation, with our understanding of the text and not the Bible itself. Um, and so when looking into it a little bit more, something that's kind of interesting is that the word, the phrase there in 12, allow a woman to teach or to have authority. Uh, the Greek word there, oh, I can believe what the, forgot what the Greek word is. Uh, Keep talking. I'll look and it up in a second. But anyway, that word was not, translated to teach or to have authority like in that way until the time of Constantine. Oh. Before that, it was translated, that, that word, it actually means more of a, uh, like that word is typically used for murder or slaying someone, um, <laughs> which it's kind interesting. of interesting. Huh. And so that seems to be, it's, it's pretty much always, any, that's the only time the word was used in the New Testament, uh, which is another thing. Um, we shouldn't really base doctrine off of a word that's only used once because uh, we don't really have context to figure out exactly what it means. Um, but that's another topic. Anyway, um, outside of scripture, when we see that word, it's always a negative thing. Like it's a, um, it's a harsh dominion. It's a harsh authority, often murder, that kind of thing. And so what it like seems tyranny. to be saying, yes, what it seems to be saying is not like any authority at all, but harsh authority or murder or slaying of men, which would make sense because the Ephesian church, uh, 
or the Ephesian culture worshiped the god Artemis, uh, the goddess Artemis. And it was a common thing in their culture for them to beat the men in temples um, as like a, uh, a playing out of a story of one of their gods conquering, um, um, one of their goddesses conquering a male god. And so that would make sense of that passage that they shouldn't do that. Uh, well. <laughs> they should not be doing that kind of thing with the men in their church. Um, and then as it goes on for Adam was created first, then Eve, another part of that religion was that uh, the god the goddess Artemis, they told them that the woman was created first and that therefore the woman should be like, was in better. authority and was better and that kind of thing. And another thing that they taught was that uh, when a woman died in childbearing, which is often something that happened, that uh, that God would save them. That they, because they died in childbearing, that Artemis they would, would be safe. Them? Yeah, that goddess. Uh, keeps saying God. Having a hard time. <laughs> yep. And this passage addresses all of those things. Um, I do not allow a woman to do that kind of thing, to do have that kind of authority over a man. And Adam was created first. Let's get things straight. This is reality. Yeah. <laughs> Adam was created first, then Eve. Um, and Eve was even deceived as, as well as Adam. They were both deceived. It wasn't just Adam. He wasn't the only one that uh, failed there. It was even the woman in this situation. And verse 15, but she will be saved through childbearing if she continues with faith, love, and holiness, with good judgment. And so Paul's saying, and also, in addition to all of this stuff, women are not going to be saved through childbearing because of the goddess Artemis. They're going to be saved because they've continued in faith, love, and holiness and following Christ. And so what it seems to be is not a restriction on women teaching in the church, but a counter-argument and a uh, safety net rules set up to um, counter the um, Ephesian The pagan religion at the time. Pagan religion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is kind of, kind of interesting. It is interesting. And then interesting. also the word silence in verse 11. Everywhere else in the New Testament, it's tra translated as like quietly huh. and not silence. Yeah. Like interesting. There's a, yeah. They just made that one silent because they're a bunch of sexist people <laughs> <laughs> or they no yeah. the end <laughs> okay I, I i tend to want to give them a little grace but <laughs> everywhere else it's quietly and not in silence which would make sense of every other verse when it talks about women in the church like corinthians where it's saying you know they're prophesying but do it this way right yeah it makes sense if you know quietly you know it's more of a let's like chill out humility. and be yeah and be calm and not go crazy. Hmm. Interesting indeed. Some rules for just as a side note, when it comes to translation and interpretation of biblical passages, uh, something to keep in mind is that, like in this scenario, the verse that you're reading seems to contradict something else in scripture. And if that is the case, then you really need to look at how you're viewing scripture and how you're viewing those particular verses. Because yeah. your assumption should not be there's a contradiction, but how am I going to, like, what is the author's intent? If, if there's something yeah, let's dig a little conflicting here. there, there's probably something that I'm missing if I dig a little deeper. Um, and then also that word there for author authority, 
like I said, it's the only time that's used in the entire New Testament. <laughs> and trying to base doctrine off of something, off a word that is only used once is very, a very shaky. Thing. Yeah. That's something we should never do. Base a doctrine off of like one verse or one word. Uh, we really need to look at the context, the whole of scripture and how it all is flowing together um, and not try to pull those those things that seem to be clear, but may not if you dig a little deeper. Right. Didn't you say when you were researching that passage that no matter who what the opinion was of the scholar, they would say this is one of the hardest passages in scripture to understand what it's talking yeah, about? Pretty much. Like, I, no matter where they fall on the spectrum, everybody's <laughs> yeah. like, this one's really tough. <laughs> I read a bunch of commentaries on this passage because <laughs> I thought it was really, I think it's a really interesting passage and uh, is one that people that aren't Christians bring up a lot as a... Christians hate women yeah, type thing. right. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's something important for us to figure out. <laughs> I was reading a bunch of commentaries and every single one of them was like, this passage is super hard. <laughs> <laughs> like no matter where they fell on the, fell on the uh, spectrum, like Sam said, it's just, it's, it's a really hard passage to interpret because of the words used and how they're not really used very much elsewhere, that kind of thing. So I thought it was interesting. So I've talked a lot, but... <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Uh, the Josh show. I thought that... Uh, it was important to cover. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know that uh, about was it Artemis. Yeah. 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 So that's interesting. Oh, and there's a word for the. Uh, look it up later. A word. There's for... a word for the idea uh, when you've just got one word or one phrase in an author's entire work, and you know how we shouldn't base. Like I was talking about, we shouldn't base our doctrine off of that instance um i think it's like hexa legomenon uh, <laughs> are you sure that's a word Latin phrase for that <laughs> no wonder but you it's forgot it. like that <laughs> yeah i'm i'm pretty positive it's legomenon but i'm not sure what i oh think it's hexa hexa legomenon let's have a quick little google action no it's two words she's googling it right now mm -hmm. <laughs> i think i spelled it really yeah. wrong Hapex. Hapex. Hapex legomenon. Legomenon. Yep, that's what it is. Hapex. The only the term of which a a term of which only one instance of use is recorded. There we go. Hapex. Interesting. Yep, and it's Greek, not Latin. That makes huh. sense. That sounds more Greek than Latin. Yeah, that's interesting. Hepto I'll never I'll never remember that. Hapex. <laughs> <laughs> Hapex. Legomenon. Legomenon. Huh. Yep. Okay, something else interesting that we should talk about. Let's oh, talk about it. Before we get to that, what about uh, in a marriage relationship, Ben? What do you think? <sighs> well, I mean, there's that one passage in Corinthians that kind of seems to lay out. Mm -hmm men being the head of the household, I think there's also somewhat of a natural argument from um, whether you believe Adam and Eve were historical real people or not. Um, God does seem to be communicating to us something, I think, from the way it tells the story in Genesis of the creation of humanity. Um, mm -hmm. And just like when it comes to like the issue of like um, homosexuality, same-sex marriage, that sort of thing. Um, we see the Bible laying out kind of this natural argument. Um, it seems there'd be some parallels to this as well as far as gender goes and the relationship between husbands and wives. 
Uh, so all that being said, it seems the man should be the head of his household. I, you know how that plays out. Uh, yeah, that's where I think it becomes more difficult. <laughs> yeah. Like where the rubber meets yeah. the road. What, what should that look like exactly? Um, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of where I, I land. Agree. <laughs> I think there's a stronger argument for uh, the complementary nature of a marriage relationship than there is in the church. Which is oh why yeah, absolutely. I think women should be allowed to be leaders in the church. But also, I think in a marriage relationship, the husband is the head of the household. I think that's fairly clear. What I don't think is clear is what that means. Yeah, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? Uh, because it's like? not just Who submission. Knows? Because Ephesians 5 says, submit to one another. Right. And so it's like, we should both be submitting. Uh, yeah. But also, the husband is the head of the household. I think that the clearest picture it gives us is that um, the husband is the head of the household as Christ is the head of the church. Yeah, th- see, that's what I was about and to so, say too. Like, how the church Christ relationship is obvious, like the parallel between that and marriage comes up a lot throughout mm-hmm. scripture. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, anyway, I, I was just thinking that too. So, yeah, <laughs> which the only, <laughs> the only thing that I can draw from that really is that the husband like Christ is to be sacrificial for the church, for the wife. And so I think that the husband should be leading in sacrifice yeah, I think that's the only thing that I've been able to come up with as far as the head of the house. Well, I mean, what about, I mean, even beyond that, though, uh, that, I mean, Christ doesn't follow the church in any sense. The church follows Christ, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, and see, because obviously this is abused at times to make it oh, seem yeah. like uh, husbands, like yeah. basically wives should just, whatever the husband says they got to do. Um there again, though, like you would never see Christ demanding something of the church that wasn't good for the church. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, a husband would, you know, a good husband would never ask his wife to do anything that would harm her in some way. Um, mm-hmm. But that there again, too, that's where it can become difficult because there's some people that say, well, it seems that some of the teachings of the church and, you know, even if they trace back to Christ are difficult, you know, or they find personally, you know, um, mm-hmm. I like, well, uh, on the issue of gender, like if transgenderism, like how should we, if somebody has gender dysphoria, how do you deal with that? You know, some would say the Bible, Christ, God's teaching on that is, you know, you live in the gender you're born with. You find a way to deal with that. Others say that's harmful. The solution is to, you know, embrace the gender that you feel you identified most with. So like, Mm -hmm. I guess all I'm saying is like there could be, you know, again, where you draw the lines or where the rubber meets the road become difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think definitely there is a much better argument from scripture that there's a difference in men and women and it plays out in a marriage. Like it has an effect on a marriage than anything to do with the church. And yeah, I think it's strange that sometimes people will say men and women are different. See exhibit a, the passage about, you know, men and women in marriage, husbands and wives. So therefore women shouldn't have a role in the church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's kind of crazy. But um, I just don't. So I think it's easier to practically do something like that in your everyday life when the personalities just tend to fall that way anyways. Like when the husband is, you know, maybe the more, outspoken one or the more opinionated one or whatever, like then the dynamic kind of tends to go that way anyways, where he is leading and the wife is following. 
it's really difficult for me to figure out what does it mean to submit to your husband in our scenario mm-hmm. where I am the opinionated one and the one that uh, is decisive and the one that is outgoing and outspoken. Yeah. Because it goes very much against our natural personalities and where yeah. the typical, where we would typically settle into. Right. The typical view of what it means for a man to be yeah, head of the yeah. household doesn't really fit with the way that our personalities work. Yeah. So if the man being the head of the household is like, he comes home and says, wife, put my dinner on the table or whatever. Yeah. Like, if you think it's something surface level... That's that's not going to happen right. for us because that's just not the way either of us are. Yeah, that's not the way God made us. But if it's not any surface level, like, specific thing, then what is it? Yeah. yeah. It's something that has <laughs> to work with every personality. Right. Because God yeah. wouldn't create a structure that goes against the way that he created his people. Yeah. And so I have a hard time because, number one, I don't see that kind of thing, that um, domineering, like, authoritative husband thing in Scripture. Like, I don't see right. why, I mean... I think that's just a cultural thing that's sprung up out of it. Um, And so I don't really see that, but also I think that the husband should be the head of the household. And so it's like, where, where does, where do I land there? Like, what does it actually look like to be the head of the household? Because I don't think it's this thing that our culture, our like conservative Christian culture has dreamed up. um, And yeah, or just Western culture in general. Yeah. If it's not the husband being able to tell the wife what to do, then what is it? Yeah. (laughs) That's my question. Yeah. Because I don't think it is that the husband should be able to tell the wife what to do all the time. Yeah. I I don't think that's what it is. I don't think it's a decisive, like it's a decision type authority. Yeah. Like where the husband makes the decisions and the wife just has to. Because I mean, Christ doesn't make our decisions. Well, even even beyond that, like the Christ church analogy kind of breaks down to a point too, where like, yeah, you could never imagine a scenario in which like the disciples or even us today would challenge anything Christ would say. Uh, but he right. is an infallible source. So right, yeah. like, exactly. That's the other thing. Like if it's if it's about like like your example you said before. Like obviously, a good husband would never tell his wife to do something that was going to harm her in any way. And I agree, not on purpose. But if you're in a scenario where you're trying to make a decision about like you know moving or changing a job or something really practical like that. And if your dynamic in your marriage is that the husband's going to make the decision ultimately and the wife just has to deal with whatever happens, like, yeah, he's going to, if he's a good husband, he's going to try to do that in the most loving way possible and the way that's going to be best for both of them. But he doesn't know everything and he's not perfect. Mm -hmm. And so just following that, you know, to, to, to a T, like with no objection, just because he's the husband. I don't know. I struggle with that because he's not Christ. He's not perfect. And he doesn't always know. I don't. No. I'm not perfect? I don't always know? You might be pretty close to perfect, but you're not perfect. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, there's a time people thought, oh, you know, if if the main, like, financial breadwinner is the woman, like, that's a out of that's a dynamic out of balance and right i don't like that seems crazy like would i hear people say that kind of thing a lot but i don't think that (laughs) is meaningful anyway like i don't see Uh, yeah and and i don't see how somebody (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're in trouble (laughs) i mean for the time being not so much because i don't make any money right now but like well i mean i I make negative money right now (laughs) so much negative money (laughs) (laughs) just the debt keeps getting bigger (laughs) every month (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> digging that hole. Uh, um, what were you saying, Ben? Well, I, 
I don't know. Like in some ways I could see where that thought, like when it comes to like, okay. Like for Sky and I, like in our relationship, I can really see how uh, like both of us are very kind of have controlling personalities and strong leadership and outgoing kind of. So, um, uh, you know, needless to say, we, uh, we even butt heads a lot. Um, but, um, one of the things like when it comes to, you know, taking care of the children and things like that, like she is way better equipped for kind of being the homemaker and the, you know, the nurturer than I am. Um, Mm -hmm. and I would say I could definitely see how, like when we talk about like generalities again, um, the idea that a mother being available to her children and taking care of things at home and, and kind of raising children, particularly in the early ages of development, um, where if of the pairing, the best person for that role is the woman, obviously somebody has got to go out and put food on the table. So <laughs> who does that leave to do that? Well, it's going to have to be dad then in that case. Um, so I can see kind of where that mentality, when you bring kids into the picture, where that comes into play, um, kind of how you decide, okay, how are we going to handle this whole child care theory? Obviously now we're living in a time where like, paying somebody else to take care of your children is a thing which wasn't always available, um, to, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, people other than the extremely wealthy. Um, and so I don't know. So like all those dynamics begin to shift a bit when there's, when there's, when there's none of those family dynamics and you just have a husband and wife, I don't, you know, or if kids are grown, like who makes more money at their job seems to be a pretty irrelevant thing to me. Um, yeah. Some men do have a hard time with that though. Um, so that there's, I mean, that's a thing, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and I don't know for those guys, like, is that something that, is that a problem with them or what? But I'd love it if I had maybe a, a little bit of an ego. I'd love situation. to have a sugar mama. <laughs> yeah. That's what I hear from most guys when this topic comes up. <laughs> I tell Sam that's why I married her. <laughs> yeah. He says to me, I married you for your money. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you're playing a long game here because we're five years in. It's the, and it's the long I con. I go further into debt than you make yep. <laughs> every year. That's right. It's the, <laughs> Not quite, but almost. Josh playing the long just, con there. Yeah, <laughs> just a, just a good investor. Just a good investor. Hey, I told Sky, is like, if anything ever happens to you, I married for love the first time. You better believe it's going to be for money the next time. <laughs> <laughs> and I encourage her to do the same. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's hilarious. All right. Well, uh, I had more that we could talk about as far as gender stuff, but, uh, we should probably hold off until okay. next time. Hold on. I want to say real quick, since we kind of started to talk about it already, Ben, with the whole like transgender situation. Oh, that's what I was going to talk about next time. About. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, I just want to say one thing. Okay. okay. There's something I've been thinking about as it relates to, you know, how is the role different for a husband and a wife and also what is going on with the whole transgender uh, thing, right? And so I've been asking myself, like, what really is the difference between men and women? What essentially is the difference? And I, you know, a trait, a characteristic will pop up in my head and I'll be like, yeah, but I mean, that doesn't, that's not always true. So like, like the nurturing thing or whatever, like, yeah, generally that's true, but it's not always true. So it can't be essentially the difference between a man and a woman. And uh, then we were talking about, the other day, we were talking about um, an article that, you want to take this part and then I'll jump in? A letter to the editor 
uh, that N.T. Wright wrote a letter to the editor, editor of the New York Times in response to several articles on transgenderism. Yeah, I read some of that. Yeah, and he was talking about how the idea that we have in our culture right now of I identify with, in my mind, with a certain gender, but my physical body is different. But the thing I identify with in my mind is better and superior to the physical world. But that's just a form of Gnosticism, right? Yep. Yeah, that was his argument. And the idea that there is a spiritual world and a physical world and the spiritual is far superior and the physical world doesn't have very much value. That idea just permeates our entire culture. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that idea that had me searching for some kind of characteristic to define the difference between a man and a woman. Because if I say, well, the biology is different, I f we feel like, well, yeah, but that's just the biology. That's not the person that you are. But I don't think that's true. Actually, mm -hmm. if I sit down and I think about it and I try to scrub the Gnosticism out of my brain, I think that the like our body is a part of who we are. It's not just the thing that carries us around the world. Like It's not, it's not like I am a person and I have a body. That's not true. Mm -hmm. I think your body is a part of who you are. And so I think say, saying, you know, the biology is different between a man and a woman has a lot more meaning than we give it credit for. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I wonder, too, if, like what we talked about, kind of bell curves and averages, where we could see mm -hmm. things like if we polled men and women, where on average women are going to kind of fall. In, yeah. I don't know how many traits you could break down, but... Let's say there's like, let's just say for the sake, there's five main traits that you see on average difference between men and women. Mm -hmm. Is it possible there's a woman or a man that on all five traits would fall more on the female category? I guess, you know, or and vice versa. You're saying on the one that does not match their, that it does not yeah, match their gender. Like as far as like. But just on this characteristic, like, you know, they like, tend to be. Yes, like nurturing and those kind of like, you say, which side yeah. is more nurturing? Well, women tend to be more, but you obviously you find a man who would maybe line up more. Like, right. is it, I wonder, like, is it, is it the case where, yeah, if you go trait by trait, you could definitely find exceptions. But when you look at like the aggregate of traits, like, are you going to find a person on all all cylinders is totally toward the other side. Like, I think you would. Maybe, but I, I, think I wonder how rare you'd that, have to. I wonder how rare that is, though. Like, I think if it happens one time, then it's not the, it can't be the essential difference between a man and woman because yeah. that thing has to be true all the time. I, well, I don't know. I'm not convinced. And there I was thinking, like, I'm not even convinced there would necessarily be one case, but I don't know how you'd define how many traits there are. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So kind of I, it may it may be just a good point anyhow. Point. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I've thought you know maybe it's like characteristics that we should aspire to rather than personality traits or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. It does seem to be. I haven't settled on that either. I'm. Yeah. I mean, I hear where you're coming from, but I'm not. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe in one sense we've underplayed the fact that biological different, the fact that our bodies are different and the, yeah. and the importance yeah. of that. Um, yeah, I think we definitely have. I'm not saying there's nothing else to it. Yeah. I'm saying that that thing that we just kind of dismiss is really, really, really important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't thought about that. And I, yeah. As far I as totally making agree. up the person that you are. Yeah, I guess... Yeah, and I guess all I'm honestly, I think there may be more to it than just that, but yeah, maybe we've under we've diminished that entirely too much. Mm -hmm. I 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a good point. Well, maybe it's we'll get a chance point. to talk about more with transgender issues in depth, but um, yeah, that's a, that's a good thought. I think that totally Next relates time. to this issue. Yep. Next time. I would like to talk a little bit more about the Gnosticism and N.T. Wright's letter because I think it's really interesting. I thought uh, it, I also thought it was interesting. N.T. Wright does not usually weigh in on controversial topics of the day. No, he doesn't. At right. all. Like, he'll talk theology and different things a lot, but, like, when it comes to the controversial topic of the day, he doesn't typically take Hot a Hot-button political yeah. things. Yeah. The, Which is why I find it so fascinating yeah. that he's jumping in on this one. Would, there's some proverb... I don't know if it's like in Proverbs or if it's like one of those Chinese Proverbs or something, but like it was something <laughs> along the lines of like when a when a quiet man speaks, listen up. <laughs> yeah. Kind of something yeah. along those lines. <laughs> yeah. So. Yep. Definitely applies to this scenario. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, so yeah, that's this episode. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you like the podcast, be sure and head over to iTunes and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, also comment on Facebook. We'd love to hear what you think about this topic. If you disagree with one of us, yeah, us tell us. I'd like to hear your reasons. Because so, it sounds like our next episode is going to be on a similar topic, so it'd be easy to incorporate those into our discussion. discussion. And also, like, I just want to get to the bottom of this <laughs> question. Yeah. And so I would be glad to have somebody like try to push against the arguments that we made Yeah. and see if they hold up. Yep. So let us know. We'd, uh, we'd like to hear what you think. All right. So uh, that's it for this episode and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. See ya.